0: Spencer, how did your dog die?
1: Well, anyone who knew my dog uh, knew he was the best dog. He was an exceptionally smart, really big-hearted, super, super caring boy. Uh, his name was Kingsley. We eventually called him Kingslayer. He got old, as as dogs will. Eventually, he, he had a stroke, and... Uh, I was speaking at a conference, and five minutes before I had to do public speaking, I got a call saying that he had passed peacefully in his sleep. And I had to go on and then do, like, an hour's worth of, of like, journalistic-infused presentation. Uh, And I say that to say this. How dare Jon Snow leave Ghost?
0: After after everything they've been through. I mean— I was gratified to see that Ghost was still alive. Is definitely battle damage. Ghost lost a little bit of one ear, but still going strong.
1: Laura, you have a cat you love. I do. Would you ever, ever, give up your cat for a political ambitions and B, a man? No, never. <laughs> Welcome to Citadel Dropouts, a Game of Thrones podcast for Wired.
0: I'm Laura Hudson, a former Wired entertainment editor and the writer behind Wired's Game of Thrones recaps, which are now back on Wired.com.
1: I'm Spencer Ackerman, a senior national security correspondent for The Daily Beast and formerly a senior writer for Wired.
0: Citadel Dropouts is a conversation between two friends and Game of Thrones fanatics about how the characters and stories in that world connect with this world in terms of politics, the social order,
1: diplomacy, feminism, and war. We are not a recap podcast. As we move to the end of Game of Thrones, we're going to talk about the deeper themes of these final episodes. Our goal is not to spoil. Our goal is to enrich. But if you haven't caught up with the show and you care about spoilers, you should do that first before listening. Laura? Spencer. I I struggle to describe how much I hated this episode.
0: And yet that's what we're going to do for the next 45 minutes to an hour. What about it stands out to you the most?
1: So a question we have been posing all throughout the existence of Citadel dropouts uh, for the past three seasons of this show is what exactly in a Westerosi context does the Daenerys Targaryen revolution portend? What exactly is the agenda of this thing? We knew in the context of Essos, precisely what Daenerys' agenda was. It was to liberate people. Well, there was actual slavery in Essos that she combated. That doesn't apply to Westeros. So what does the agenda really, you know, have in store? How, in other words, does Daenerys define her liberatory agenda? What is the, the, the Daenerys Targaryen version of, Of liberation politics.
0: Well, both fortunately and unfortunately, she actually tells us in this episode, the problem is that it doesn't make any sense. I'm trying to remember who she was talking to, but she says something like, I'm here to free the world from tyrants. That is my destiny. And I will serve it no matter the cost. And to be clear, the cost that we're talking about in that context is the deaths of thousands, if not tens of thousands of innocent people. So in order to save the people, Spencer, they must be killed. In order to save the world from tyrants, she must become a tyrant. It really all makes sense if you don't think about it very
1: hard. I'm, I'm, I'm more of a tanky than you are then, because I, I don't have a problem with revolutionary violence uh, within certain parameters. I recognize that, as Robespierre said, uh, citizens do you want a revolution without a revolution as something that doesn't really fly. Um, My problems with what it was that we now know the Daenerys Targaryen agenda to be are reactionary, and they are not what we were promised, and uh, I want to go into this in some detail. Um, So, seminally, for this show and for Daenerys, we learn in Marine through... The famous conversation with Tyrion, uh, that what she wishes to do is to break the wheel. Tyrion thought initially, and Daenerys corrects him in particular, that uh, perhaps Daenerys was just about turning the wheel so that her favorite allies could be in place um, atop the social structures and political and economic structures of Westeros, and that is what her revolution was. No, no, Daenerys said. I am out to break the wheel. We didn't know what that meant, again, in a Westerosi context, because we knew most of what we knew about her politics uh, in, in relation to slavery. We've been waiting and waiting and waiting to see how Daenerys actually answers the question, and now we know. And it is exactly what Tyrion thought from the start, and the show conditioned us not to believe. Because of what Daenerys said, we learn at uh, dinner after the apocalypse uh, that because, you know, Gendry swings a good hammer, if you know what I mean, that he's going to become the new Lord of Storm's End. You are Lord Gendry Baratheon of Storm's End, the lawful son of Robert Baratheon, because that is what I have made you. That means that, yes. A bastard boy from Flea Bottom is going to be lord, one of the highest lords in Westeros, right? But wait, that also means there are still high lords in Westeros, and that the condition of all of the other gendries, of the, which there are so many, is going to be completely unaffected by what Daenerys has in store. Later on, we find that the Hand of the Queen, in order to save himself and his brother from being killed, is willing to make his former cutthroat another High Lord. We made a deal long ago, do you remember? If anyone offered me money to kill you, you'd pay me double. What's Double River on? High Garden. Whatever you could say about that, it is not the politics of liberation that we have been accustomed to from Daenerys Targaryen. We have been waiting for deliverance from this iniquitous social and political and economic structure that brought us to our moment of present misery, that brought us to the destruction of Westeros through the the, the Wars of the Five Kings, which demonstrated the rot that had persisted throughout this entire social structure where we learn again and again and again throughout the story of A Song of Ice and Fire and A Game of Thrones that the real constant here is that the people suffer while the High Lords play their games of thrones. And this is exactly what we are now seeing again and again happening now with Daenerys. We take the ascension of Gendry and the ascension of someone like Bronn to be a stand-in, to to tell us that there is now, in fact, room at the top for people from down below, that she is elevating uh, those poor misbegotten souls who suffered under the prior regime. Well, no, because the system that kept them in that condition of suffering, that condition of misery, that will persist under Daenerys Targaryen. Looking for a left instantiation of Daenerys' revolution is gone. I don't think there there can be a case for this thing anymore. It really is just another turn of the wheel that we're talking about. In which case, the violence she is about to unleash and the question of it becomes less acceptable. I I, I, I do think that if we are talking about uh, freeing people from the 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 reign of of Cersei. Daenerys is better than that, certainly. We're, we're really talking about the bottom-of-the-barrel possible comparison, in which case, yeah, all right. But we had been told this was going to be a liberatory moment, and that is not what we are going to get.
0: I mean, the Game of Thrones has always been and continues to be, to some degree, a game of musical chairs. The chairs remain relatively the same. The power of the people, who happen to sit in them and be privileged enough to sit in them, is a pretty much the same it's just that the names get moved around i and i think that if we actually paid attention to some of the things that she were saying the the basis on which she was claiming a throne for herself period and this throne in particular she was doing it she was doing it on the basis of birthright and power and i think that's interesting because now that we know that john actually has a much better claim to the throne than her that's revealed for what it really is It's not because, you know, in the same way that maybe people have, you know, they subscribe on some deep level to some higher uh, philosophical belief or political belief or religious belief. It's not that she believes so deeply in the sanctity of birthright, which is, again, a completely made up idea if you think back in history, like, Mm -hmm. you know, more than 100 years. When it comes down to it, if she really cared about that claim, John has the claim. What she has is naked ambition
1: for personal power, for personal power. That's all it's ever been. As we have discussed before, it makes no sense for her to base her claim on some kind of idiotic law and tradition. The claim is the nuclear weapons she possesses marshaled in the name of some sort of cause. We judge the merits of the cause based on what it promises, and in particular, based on what it promises for the most vulnerable people here, not the most privileged ones. And we now learn that they're not going to get anything. They're going to get a shadow of upward mobility as a cynical sop instead of getting the wide-ranging social salvation and recognition that they themselves are the power here. That is the power more powerful than dragons, I tell you. The power of solidarity. The power of the people. We are getting none of that here. We are now simply getting, you know, possibly, uh, you know, a bloodbath in King's Landing. So, you know, Gendry, uh, who swung a good hammer, can rule over something like one-seventh of a continent. He himself points out how unprepared, how, how... I actually kind of hated the politics of that, in particular the class politics of that, because there's, they're kind of making it out like it's, it's Gendry's bumbling fault for now being this sort of high lord while it's outside of his uh, area of expertise and any of his claim. No, it's the, it's the fault of the person who's putting him there. It's, it's, it's unconscionable. It's Daenerys not caring, just like she didn't care enough about Marine to leave anyone more qualified than her side dick who explicitly says, fuck the people, fuck the city. He left that guy in charge of making sure that revanchist slavers don't come back into power.
0: I think there's a reason why we haven't had any, you know, cuts back to Essos. If I had to guess how well things are going over there right about now, I would say not great. And I also think that when we are talking about uh, Gendry, this was not an assignment uh, that was that was given him, this was not a title that was given to him purely out of some sort of meritocracy. You know, there's that fact too. It's made very clear that this is the heir uh, of Robert Baratheon and she's she's making a political tactical decision to try and put uh, enough people who are loyal to her into those musical power chairs uh, in such a way that will, you know, back her reign.
1: A fitting reward for a hero and a lord of Storm's End who will be forever loyal to you.
0: This isn't this isn't about who does who's the best at things, because that's never what it's been about. I mean, this is something that we brought up at the beginning of this season of the podcast, uh, and I think we're starting to see a lot of these things uh, come into shape in terms of the different potential uh, political groups or individuals uh, that could ultimately win the Game of Thrones. Uh, and one of the ideas that we had discussed was. That to some degree, the success of the show on some level will depend upon what it has to say about that. It's not clear to me that we're going to come out of this with, again, anything approaching wheel breaking or anything revolutionary. Uh, So if, you know, if we do end up with a version of Game of Thrones where... All it has to say is, here's a slightly different person that's not as bad in the exact same political system. Will it have been satisfying? Will there have been a point to this?
1: I I can't believe that I I heard her say, as a summary of her, her, as her bumper sticker, men will live without fear or cruelty under their rightful queen. No, they'll live under precisely the fear and cruelty under any queen, under any... Aristocratic circumstance under any bourgeois form of, of of a republic, it it will always be such such that they will live with 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 fear, with cruelty, and with want. And it doesn't have to be this way. And this is now what Daenerys Targaryen is selling, and what the show is selling, as liberation, uh, a a a slight tweak of the wheel, so that you know at least the worst person alive is not in charge that's the best we're we're told we can hope for here
0: i mean the way that i see it now i'm i was going to try to do d and d alignments for a second but i'm not going to do that but i I can see a couple of different flavors of bad potentially emerging and they're kind of the same ones that they were all along there's cersei who's just completely selfish and evil uh and 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 you know makes you know makes no bones about the fact very has very little pretense about the fact that she does not care about her people or pretty much anyone else. Then you have Danny, who's someone who, uh, again, I think would prop up an incredibly uh, unjust system that would contain an enormous amount of suffering. But, you know, I I, I think that she would, in the way that, uh, you know, many people of power who like to think of themselves as good people would do, she would make concessions here and there. You know, giving alms to someone on the street doesn't, fix the problem of institutional poverty, but it maybe makes you feel better for the moment. I I can see her being that type of leader. And then you have John, where he's just good, but stupid, which we see like three more times in this episode where he just can't stop starking, you know, saying the absolutely most inopportune thing at the worst time, uh, you know, and, and think what you will about, the political calculation of him telling his sisters is true identity. The problem with John is that was not political at all. He just did it because gosh darn, it was the right thing to do. And that's what gets you killed. I don't, you know, I think if we learn anything from Ned Stark and every other Stark man, it's that, you know, that doesn't lead to a lot of longevity. So I don't know that any of these outcomes are super great. You know, the few times when they've gotten into the experience of the small folk, as they say, you know, during the War of the Seven Kings, half the time, you know, they don't even know who's marching under what banner. They don't really care. They just want their lives to be less painful uh, and chaotic.
1: It doesn't have to just be less painful. And that's what's, what's really making uh, me upset about this, that the show's horizons uh, for, for, for telling us what is possible are so low and so dim that uh, we see Daenerys Targaryen is you know just another liberal. She'll make things slightly better. She'll make things better than the worst person alive, and that is supposed to be the politics of liberation that we're told is breaking the wheel. Well, that's not. It's it's just simply not. And I can I can hold my nose and vote for it uh, because I don't want the worst person in the world to be to be in charge. Uh, But that's a different thing from believing in it, and from seeing it as the alternative that uh, the humanity that was brave and good enough and solidaristic enough to unite against a a civilizational disaster deserves.
0: Yeah, I I think one of the problems I have uh, with the show right now is it's coming to its conclusion. And this was always going to be an issue, but you know, I think part of the narrow horizons of conceiving of different forms of political power come from the fact that you know this is a fantasy book. It's based in fantasy tropes. It's based in you know certain traditional ideas of of monarchy. But again, this was always a book that wanted to subvert a lot of the most fundamental ideas uh, about fantasy, and I think that would that would be a genuinely interesting way for it to try to be braver. I don't see it doing that. Because one of the concerns that I've had, and I'm not even saying Martin would have necessarily had the perfect answers that would have made us all happy. I actually don't know if that's possible. But more and more since we've gotten beyond the tracks of the books, you know, I feel like the show, it doesn't always understand narrative or character arcs (laughs) so much as it understands cool moments
1: right spectacle
0: yeah i mean like the whole point of jamie's character was he starts off as this huge asshole first episode you know pushing a little boy out the window and crippling him forever and you know we see this very earned arc of him becoming a better man and then for him at this climactic moment to be like actually no i'm terrible and, and the one person that I had, you know, most been closely bound to and most grown apart from, I'm going to go back and do that for some reason, even though I have a real chance at happiness here. It's not just that it was stupid, which it was. It just feels like it negates that whole arc. And, and you know, certainly with Tyrion, I feel like there's been a lot
1: of like even even weird moments uh, like. Well, his stupidity for three seasons compounding with every, every episode. And there are just even tonally off-note moments where he was, okay,
0: you know, he'd, he'd, he'd be snarky and he'd make jokes and be a little bawdy. Uh, but Tyrion was never just a, a weird bully. And then for some reason in this episode, you know, we see him picking on Brienne for being a virgin and then pulling uh, Jamie aside to ask for specifics about her genitals. Yeah. Where I'm like, I, I'm like... <laughs> In addition to him, you know, having behaved pretty uniformly foolish uh, about every military decision, including I've harped on this, but I'm not going to stop because the huge mistake that you just made that everybody yelled at you and said, Tyrion, you're stupid for doing that was him saying, despite literally everything I've learned over the course of this show and my life, maybe Cersei can be reasoned with. And at the end of this episode, he does it again. He does it again.
1: You're not a monster. I know this because I've seen it.
0: And it, it's it's it, it sucks to me because the character the character's not allowed not only to be as complex as he used to be, but not allowed to grow in any way. If anything, I feel like his movement has just been inconsistent and also just retroactive, and it really bumps me out.
1: So given that we're seeing so many departures from the consistent characterization of of these characters the ways in which the inconsistencies manifest take on i think greater aesthetic and thematic meaning because they become the choices that the writers are are making when when this divergence happens um seemingly without knowing them and 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 to just you know back up a second i think you know what we saw with Jamie, what we saw with Tyrion, plays into really something that we ought to address, and I wanna hear your thoughts on in, in you know, in, in, at some length, which is this was a really deeply misogynistic episode. I, I wonder if this is, you know, recognizing that we've had episodes where Sansa is raped uh, and have that rape shown through the eyes of a man, uh, where Jamie rapes Cersei, and the writers seem not to recognize what they had done, uh, where Gendry is sexually assaulted and that's treated casually and eventually played for laughs. Um, I don't know. This is this is at least up there. I, I, I found really stunning across so many different characters. And I'm, I'm very curious for your thoughts.
0: I think a lot of, the, again, a lot of the problems I had, a lot of problems I had with that in this episode are consistent with problems that I've had with the show in the past. You know, I, I think, you know, there's, a, there's been an argument at certain times where it's like, no, we have all of this horrible rape in here because we're making a statement about rape or it's realistic. It doesn't always feel true. You know, I, I think that, for example, in this episode, there could have been a way to address, oh, um, you know, despite the fact that Arya won uh, the battle for everybody, and if not her, Danny, um, you know, that all of these men are rallying around John.
1: That's the kind of man he is. He's little, but he's strong. There's,
0: there's a way that that could have been played that would have been more about the in, the injustice of that, that would have felt less like these characters were being shat on by the show as well as the characters, That's always there's always that fine distinction. Mm-hmm. Where does it feel like the show's shitting on these characters or does it feel like the characters in the show are shitting on these characters? And there were just too many weird little notes. Like, why have the Hound come up and taunt Sa- like Sansa viciously about her rape? How do you have broken in? How do you have broken in rough? You know, why have Tyrion, of all people you know, make fun of, you know, someone in a sexually humiliating way, like, repeatedly.
1: At no point in the past, up until this very moment, have you slept with a man or a woman?
0: Why, you know, torment? who, you know... Torment? He was the one who was like, yeah, women should be knights. Standing I'm- up
1: and applauding Brienne and then deciding that he's gonna, you know, fuck off and go back home because she won't fuck him.
0: Yeah, and being the first person on board to be like, well, you know... John's a king. What a manly man who (laughs) deserves all of the crowns. And you're like, what happened? Just two episodes.
1: John himself. John seemed not to recognize that he lost. A Also, last week, he did nothing. And then he lost. And Arya saved everybody. And Arya met. and, And this is, I forget if Arya or Sansa mentions this. But it's it's brought up to him and he was like, no, all these other people fought. Yeah, and they died because of your stupid plan that you did nothing to accomplish. You lost, you got all of those people killed. Your sister actually did this work. It's astonishing that he didn't recognize that. And it just feels like the writers didn't recognize it or have him recognize it. I, I couldn't believe this one.
0: Yeah, I thought there, there were just a lot of little casual notes thrown in like that. That maybe we're trying to poke one character and, you know where it's like, okay, the Brienne thing being a virgin gets brought up specifically so she can bang Jamie later, and we have that context now. I understand why the show did it. I don't think that was a good way to do it. Um, where, like, I can see why them, you know, trying to you know, poke at Daenerys' uh, insecurities about power and her relationship with Jon mm-hmm. all that stuff. I understand what it's trying to do, but the way that it executes on that did not leave a very good taste in my mouth, nor did it make me feel like the narrative had a strong grasp on where it was going or what it was trying
1: to say. This is also, this is not related to the the misogyny of this episode, but just to also say, in the spirit of talking about the way characters are inconsistently portrayed, Varys, the smartest person in the room, the the most informed, the most insightful, out of absolutely all of our, uh, you know, scheming contenders like Littlefinger or like Tyrion, Varys somehow thinks that Jon Snow would make a better king? That is an insane thing to believe. That is an insane thing to believe that Varys would believe. If this was, you know, some setup for, you know, a commentary on the misguidedness of intelligence or ideological blindness, uh forcing even those who fashion themselves uh as 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 clear-eyed thinkers uh, fooling themselves, I could see it, but I've lost confidence the show is really actually, you know, interested in pulling something like that off. I think what we see is what we get. And somehow this idiot who we keep on seeing make idiot mistakes, idiot mistakes, is believed by the finest spymaster in Westeros to somehow be a better monarch than Daenerys. Who I have at this point absolutely no reason to root for her agenda anymore, but obviously she's better than Jon.
0: Yeah, I, I, again, that's 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 one of the things that has bothered me the most about the show is where it will, it's it's a little bit of the show don't tell, right? They tell us Tyrion's really smart, but when we see him doing things, he does not demonstrate that to us. At all. They tell us that Jon is this great inspirational leader and like, okay, he gives a speech. But the idea that Varys would be like, look at the men, how they ra- they rally to him in camaraderie. Surely this is, and I'm like, you served under Robert Baratheon. Like, I'm sure he was fun to drink mead with too. It did not mean he was good at ruling. And you would know that, you would know that.
1: You would also have been around Jon so many times when he expresses utter disinterest. You were certainly around Varys. When John, in order to save the you know the 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 people of Westeros, decided he would entirely give up being a king and pledge fealty to Daenerys, you think this guy is interested in being a good king? He obviously isn't. I was I was stunned this this whole episode. Um, but but really, uh, not to get sidetracked off this because it really was so so horrific and and so egregious. Um, to 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 bring up probably the most offensive and and misogynistic thing this show did, uh, the show took its only black woman character, put her back in chains, and then fridged her. The death of Miss Sande is something I I, I feel like re- re- really brought brought this this very bad and very disappointing and dispiriting episode uh, to a low. I was not sure the show was gonna go.
0: Also, maybe, I mean, especially when the show seems to have such a loose and inconsistent grasp of what it's trying to do with um, Daenerys and her politics of liberation, like, yeah, maybe don't slap chains on someone. What are we to take away from that, that Cersei would put people in chains, but Daenerys wouldn't? There's, it's, 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 again, it's like a cool moment versus a narrative choice that makes sense, where, you know, to be like, oh, yeah. They used to call her Breaker of Chains. We're gonna take her friend and put her in chains and then say, Breaker of Chains. And it's like, you've done something here, but it's not clear what it is.
1: It told us nothing about Cersei that we didn't already know. It served no real plot purpose. They killed Missandei for no reason. It's insane to me that Danny would heed Tyrion After pointing out again and again and again how he doesn't understand Cersei and how misguided this whole thing is um, to say that perhaps they could bargain for her life. Obviously Cersei can't live after all of this. It's not just revenge. It's because as long as she lives she will recognize that she poses a threat to Daenerys and will seek to maximize that threat until she wins. We know this about her. There is no reason Miss Sande had to die to tell us something that we've known so consistently for so long. It's really offensive, and it's it's very sad that they did this.
0: Speaking of offensive, uh, I, t- I forgot a totally other misogynist thing that happened in this episode, where the Hound, who, you know, has always had a soft spot in his uh, heart or various places for uh, Sansa, uh, decides to mock her pretty ruthlessly for being sexually assaulted. And then we get to see her respond by saying Without Littlefinger and Ramsey and the rest, I would have stayed a little bird all my life. That on some level, like, she's glad that she was assaulted and abused by all these different men because it, it made her strong. And like, okay, I get it. You know, the survivor narrative of like, you know, what didn't kill me made me stronger. But again, that's...
1: I don't know anyone who's been through some shit who believes that
0: I think. But I think it also comes down to a problem that you see in a lot of narratives. That's like, well, we understand in general about characters and story and also life. that Yes, going through difficult experiences does make you stronger. But there are so many other bad things that can happen to a woman besides rape. There really are and the fact that that is so casually used as the shorthand you know becoming the lady of winterfell and keeping her people alive those were also things they were not specifically about men committing violence to her that also made her stronger and so i think you know reducing all of the growth that she's had as a character the person that she's become the politician that she's become uh purely to these acts of violence committed against her by men, I think is really reductive. And again, the show has not had a super strong handle on how to deal with sexual assault. So I didn't love it. I didn't love it. And also, also, why? What did we get out of that interaction that we didn't already know?
1: I found it actively belittling. And I, no one I know who has, who has survived rape, who has survived sexual assault, who has survived abuse, who has survived torture would ever say that experiencing this brought me to where I am now. It's the rest of their life they're trying to reclaim after those events. And, and to hear them say so casually, to have in, in, the, in the mouth of perhaps the show's premier survivor, to say that, you know, this was, you know, all a learning experience. And, you know, it was worth Ramsey Bolton uh, to get a glimpse of how the world really works. Um, is I think the same kind of uh, Blythe attitude um, toward a very serious subject that is not to be trifled with um, that brought the show to its worst moments of depicting sexual assault and doing so casually. (sighs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. Is there anything you liked about this episode? No, and I feel no need to pretend there was or feel no need to pretend that anything that I might have enjoyed about this episode certainly thematically matters more than, than what we saw in terms of uh, the rampant misogyny of, of, of Game of Thrones, the cynicism of it, um, and, and the uh, minimal political horizons of the acceptable alternatives that the show now has on offer. Was there anything you liked or you thought was redeeming?
0: Well, there was something I liked, but it's also complicated. Surprise. Don't I'm like, I thought it could go so much worse. Um, there's that moment that we get with uh, Gendry and Arya, and he's given the lordship or whatever, and is immediately right. um, immediately like...
1: So be with me. Be my wife. Be the lady of Storm's End.
0: little well, slow down there, brother. But, you know, I, I appreciated that, you know, they remain consistent with Arya's character. It's, you know, that call back to that conversation with Ned from very early on, where she's like, I'm not a lady. I've never been a lady. He's like, oh, one day, I'm not going to do the accent. <laughs> one day you'll grow up and yeah. you'll you'll be the lady of the castle and of princesses. And, and she was very, always very simply like, nope, that's not me. Uh, I I enjoy that that she's been consistent in, in that arc. But it also, it just bums me out a little bit that I feel like she's, you know, certainly within this episode, one of the only female characters that's allowed to maintain dignity. Yeah. And, you know, she's a far less traditionally feminine uh, presenting character. Uh, it bums me out that the more traditionally feminine presenting characters just get, you know, uniformly shit on and dismissed and degraded kind of top to bottom. So I like that Ferraria. <laughs> I just didn't like the rest of that.
1: Well, but I feel that's a really good segue to talk a little bit more about Jamie and Brienne Aww. because it seems like when when you the dynamic you're describing with Arya um, to some degree fits uh, Brienne as well, um, and here we saw a moment of 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 you know glorious hope um, and tenderness that I was so happy to see um, turned into something so cruel. That, that I'm I'm kind of stunned that they did it. And and I don't know if, if it was really anything more than cruelty for cruelty's sake. On, on whose part? You mean in, in terms of what Jamie did? In terms of what Jamie did, but really in terms of what the show had him do. I, I didn't buy this from Jamie. I didn't buy that Jamie would so casually allow Brienne a moment, her first moment in her entire life of pure happiness... Only to run out on her and then excuse it to himself and to others because he's not forgiven himself for all the horrible things he is. And 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 running out on, on Brienne using the, the kind of bullshit of saying that, you know, you don't want to be around someone as hateful as me. Just to go back to his toxic ex-girlfriend. I hated that.
0: Yeah. And I, and again, like think about the character arcs where, you know, both he and and Brienne have, you know, suffered through so much humiliation. I do, you know, when I first it happening, I'm like, how do I feel about this? But then I'm like, nope, coming around to it. <laughs> and I'm like, no, because you finally give these people, you know, this moment of vulnerability with each other in, in, in a way that I thought was really beautiful. Uh, and the culmination of both of their arcs coming from different directions, and finally, you know, finding some sort of love and acceptance and, you know, the new versions of themselves that they found a way to be, and then for Jamie to say, "J.K., <laughs> it's not you, it's me," um, and and again, I it it felt to me that like that didn't happen because it was an authentic character choice. It happened because we need Jamie to be at King's Landing in the next two episodes.
1: So we see. Cersei's endgame and how basically uh, Tyrion played into her hands. Cersei gathers a ton of human shields and is daring uh, Daenerys to Dracaris them all. I don't see why the right maneuver isn't to basically do like a giant leaflet drop or other form of announcement to the people of King's Landing and say, get out of those gates before we roast them all. Uh, Cersei is going to keep you there. Uh, As hostages, I am here to free all of you, and I'm going to put my army on one of the gates, rush to that gate, overwhelm the guards around you as necessary, rush out and we will protect you. Uh, And now I'm going to kill everyone who doesn't leave. I will give you a certain amount of time, my army is here, we're on the other side of that gate, there are more of you than there are of them, we're going to finish this. You know that this tyrant is simply using you as a human shield. I have come with the mechanism of your liberation. Now, it won't actually be their liberation for the reasons that we've discovered, but certainly this is the available option that they seem not to even consider. Danny makes the point of saying that the, you know, she'll entertain this kind of offer um, for, you know, that, Tyr- that Tyrion comes up with for Cersei to possibly leave with her life uh, as a way of uh, demonstrating that she-, she went the extra mile. That actually would be, The extra mile. That actually would be the propaganda victory. Um, And if Cersei doesn't ultimately open up the gates, well, you're going to try and, you know, cook the people in the towers in the Red Keep first and then hope for the best. But there's no more reason, you know, to hope for anything better for the Targaryen restoration in whichever one of its forms it comes in, if it comes at all, Um, aside from the fact... Uh, that uh, the evil tyrant Cersei Lannister will no longer be on the throne. And, you know, given that we are in, you know, the height of primary season, uh, or will be soon, um, this is quite a message that this show is is telling us. Uh, just be slightly better than the worst imaginable person. And that's probably all you need. I think we learned from this episode uh the reality of who wins the game of thrones. And the answer is the wheel wins.
0: The same people win the game every time. It's the powerful people.
1: Yes. The wheel wins. In
0: that sense, I'm like, (laughs) would it have been better for the night King to win?
1: (laughs) Okay. We started out where I was more tanky than you were. And now you have gone way more tanky than I have. The apocalypse has come. I just wanted a damn guillotine. (laughs) mm <laughs> If you haven't already, subscribe to us online and write about how we hate your favorite show. We're at the Citadel Dropouts on iTunes. And if you have a minute, leave us a review about how we hate your favorite show.
0: We don't hate. Well, (laughs) (laughs) we've put together a special offer for listeners of Citadel Dropouts. First-time subscribers can get one year of Wired for just $5, which is 50% off our standard price. You'll get unlimited access to Wired and the Get Wired app, plus a print magazine if you'd like. Just go to wired.com
1: slash flash sale. Citadel Dropouts was produced by Jeremy Dalmas. I'm Spencer Ackerman. And I'm Laura Hudson. And we'll be back next Monday morning. Thanks for listening.